When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello, it's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Sammy James. This is your weekly audio Fulham firing squad. And what a frustrating weekend it was for the Whites as we pulled a blank against a ruthless Sheffield Wednesday at the Cottage. We're going to be looking back at that performance and calling the shots on today's podcast is Farrell Monk. Hello, Sammy. Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Ben Jarman. Hello, friends. How are we doing? Very well, you? Very good, thank you. How are we doing after your 20 nugget share box that I just bought you all? Um, I want more. Yeah, it was a kind gift, but share boxes for me and Farrell are not really share boxes most of the time. I did think about buying two share boxes. I think this is probably for the best for everyone. We'd be <laughs> in the nugget slump. <laughs> Although we are very grateful for the nuggets. Yeah, thank you, Sammy. Pleasure. Totally Pleasure. Well, hopefully you'll be giving me nuggets of Fulham gold today. Uh, later on in the pod, we're going to be giving our preview to the Bristol and Ipswich Town games. Uh, we're going to be looking back at that Sheffield Wednesday performance, of course, in just a little bit and answering your questions, of course. But first up, your three-word reviews. Jack Collins... What are you saying? We got a lot, actually. 146 responses is possibly a new Fulhamish record. So we always you. get more three-word reviews when we lose. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for submitting them. Uh, I'm going to start with Tom Cook, who went with differentiate from wing play, which I quite liked. Yeah. Um, DC <laughs> Sports I just thought four words. Ooh. No, Artistic wing play is license. one word. I'm, I'm, I'm giving that. Fair DC enough. Sports Dork, that's actually his name. Um, it said, where's Kearney's fitness? Um, and Not then crazy. my favourite one was actually just something was We've Been Sussed, which was from Christian Dunn. Well, it did feel a little bit like that on Saturday in that performance against Sheffield Wednesday. Certainly they did a job in us in the second half. Uh, before we come on to Sheffield Wednesday, don't forget that Fulhamish this season is sponsored by the good guys at Ladbrokes, where right now you can bet £5, get £20. Stick just a fiver in your account and you'll get £25 to play with. So I've worked out currently at Ladbrokes if you had £25 in your account uh, to win the league You'd get two hundred and seventy-five quid if you put all two, if you put all twenty-five pounds on that, including on the stake. winning the league. Yeah, that's a terrible odds. Don't bet on that. Uh, for promotion, you'd get ninety-three pounds seventy-five. Definitely don't bet on that. For relegation, after this weekend. Yeah. For relegation, you'd get eight hundred and fifty quid. I'm putting on that. Yeah, better. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers for selling the uh, selling the bets, Jack. No, one hundred percent. Like, put put your money on things, but just don't put them on them. They're awful odds for for Fulham. Right, well, let's get on to the Sheffield Wednesday game. Disappointing 1-0 defeat at the hands <laughs> of the <laughs> Owls. Get rid of that, uh, Stephen Fletcher's goal, the difference between the two sides on Saturday. I will start off uh, in the first half, bit cagey without too much happening. Sheffield Wednesday weren't pressing us really very high on the ball, I didn't think, in that first half. I thought they let us have quite a lot of the play. I thought Fulham should have taken a bit more advantage. What do you think? Well, I think we wasted a lot of chances, again, I think we sound like a broken record when we say that quite a lot, especially over the past two or three weeks. I think uh, you nailed it. They didn't particularly press us high and they let they just crammed the midfield because they know that's where our main creativity came came from, i.e. Kearney, i.e. Steph Joe. 
Um, I think they let us have the ball out wide where possible because they knew that if they crammed the middle, then we wouldn't. They wouldn't have much of an end product. And only a couple of times did it actually fall to anyone in the box, notably Aluko, and then uh, Ryan Sessegnon in the second half, and he unfortunately dragged the ball just wide of the post uh, with Rui Fonte steaming in at the back. Um, Rui Fonte, on another point, actually looks really quite something. <laughs> Yeah, we'll come on to uh, Rui Fonte's performance, also that of Kamara as well, uh, some of the new boys. Back to Aluko. He seems to be frustrating a lot of the fans at the moment, even from that three-word review. Uh, there was a bit of a debate that was caused by someone having a pop at Aluko and some fans sticking up for him. But certainly, at the moment, his lack of clinical finishing is getting a bit desperate. And he had two real big chances in that first half, uh, one from the free kick and then one from the corner. Both of them he should have done much better with. I mean, none of us are pretending here that Aluko is a, one of his strengths is anything airborne. So, you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that Aluko managed to, one, miss a header and then two, air kick a volley. But, you know, yeah, it, it comes down to the fact that if you if you look at Sean Aluko, and, and I think a lot of us do as, as one of our kind of key men and, and really should be, at this point, one of the leaders in the side... You know, he's an experienced player with a lot of, you know, responsibility for looking after the younger players and bringing those through now. And, and for him to, you know, making things like that missed time jump for the header is just absolutely schoolboy. And I think that we've just he just needs to get his head back in the right place and start to, you know, go at people again. And I think that, you know, yes, he's better with the ball on the deck. But at the same time, like, that's a free header from three yards out that he's just managed to jump at the wrong time. That's, you know not what you expect at this level and especially not what you expect from one of your kind of, you know, star players. So I think that, yeah, Aluko needs to get his head back in the game. I don't think we should probably be saying that we should sell him off the back of that performance. No. But um, <laughs> well, Clearly yeah. Slav's got a lot of faith in him still because he's still starting Aluko ahead of lots of other options. Well, we know he's got a moment of magic in him. We know that that's, a, you know, one of the things that he seems to, you can always produce that from nothing almost occasionally. So, you know, you have to bear with him occasionally during the tough times but at the same time you know it's up to him to to get his head back in the correct space I would say uh, Farrell second half Sheffield Wednesday changed the tactics a little Fulham found it harder to play from the back it seemed fairly evident to me that there was only one goal in the game actually my dad said to me I said score prediction he said it's going to be 1-0 I don't know who to and I thought that was quite fair that there was just one goal in the game and whoever got it was going to go on and win unfortunately it wasn't us yeah, uh, certainly from, um, I mean, you, if you look at it from a neutral standpoint, you right in front of you are two well-organized, well-drilled teams. Uh, they both both are fairly settled teams from last season. And, you know, they, it's quite evident that they quite rightly finished in the top six last year and not much has changed from last year. Um, I was very impressed with, with Sheffield Wednesday as a whole. They were just, I think they were fantastic getting their shape together. I, I thought when they actually got the ball, they used it really, really well. They didn't. I'm pretty sure Fulham had more possession, but when Sheffield Wednesday got the ball, they had some real good attacking intent. And the star man for them was Barry Bannon. I mean, he played mm. absolutely exceptionally. He he's he has this ability. I'm just looking at it, the first time I've really kind of appreciated him as a as a, an opposition fan um, to realise how good he is at just sort of wandering in between the lines and. All of a sudden, you'll just see him. He's just wandering around a little bit, and all of a sudden, he can kind of see what's going to happen in two or three passes' time, and he gets the space straight away and is ready to receive it. And he's already thought about what he's going to do next. Um, and I think he's a massive asset to the team, and and cause Fulham a lot of problems. 
Um, it, it found, even though he's obviously not the quickest player in the world and Fulham are really good at winning the ball back in situations, they couldn't get, uh, Barry Bannon just couldn't get close to him. So when the Sheffield Wednesday fans were saying, Barry Bannon, I just don't think you understand, you were there going, no, I do understand. I do finally understand, <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday fans. And uh, yeah, <laughs> all credit for noticing as well. Um so Fulham found themselves 1-0 down. It was a bit of an error from Kevin McDonald, a rare error from Kevin McDonald giving the ball away uh, in such a dangerous position, but uh, a lethal finish from Stephen Fletcher. It's a good finish, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a number of errors in the build-up play. There's Ryan Fredericks, who leaves Adam Reach completely unattended when that should be his man. That then forces Callas out to the, to shut him down on the on the right-hand side of the area. That in turn drags over Tim Ream. Therefore, a massive space opens up on the edge of the box that neither McDonald nor uh, Steph or the left-back can plug. And it's just a, a an easy uh, sort of finish for Stephen Fletcher. And someone of his calibre is probably going to put them away sort of nine times out of ten, I think. On the volley, that's a, it's a difficult thing to finish. But there's so many errors from us in that build-up that... Yeah. Could have easily been avoided. Completely agree with the the build up point. I do think it's a, it's a good finish. I think it's a better finish than potentially we're giving him credit for. Um, I think there are three or four chances in the game which are easier finishes than that that Stephen Flinch has had to put away there. Mm. And so I think when you look at it like that, then you have to give him credit. But you know when you know you see a side start with someone like Fletcher and Hooper up front, the you know the experience in that in that in that side, they're keeping Winnell and Rhodes out of the team. You know the experience and kind of quality that those two players possess, they're always going to be able to put away chances if you give them to them. And it, it came down to the fact that they were lethal with you know a, a good chance, and they had someone that was able to stick the ball in the back of the net from you know potentially what might not even be considered you know, an easy chance. And we weren't able to stick it in the back of the net from easier chances, and that, therefore we lost. And it, it comes down to that, really. Came about after a long goal kick from Westwood. And I'd noticed, actually, we were really struggling with his goal kicks. There was a disallowed goal. Uh, I can't remember who stuck it in the back of the net. It was, it was actually Fletcher again. It was actually yep. very poor from Button. Uh, the save but again that came from a long westward goal kick I was thinking we're really not dealing with these very well then again the goal came around and and my memory isn't good enough to remember this but our man Nick McNee uh, man on the stats uh, said on Twitter that he's caused a problem with his long goal kicks in the last four times we faced Sheffield Wednesday I mean this is a team that finished sixth in the league last season was the playoff semi-finals yes yet a long goal kick seems to be causing us so many problems there were two but there are two very clear weaknesses to this team. One of them is long balls over the top from the goalkeeper. And the other one is the, the diagonal switch ball over the back of a fullback. If you sit in the Johnny Haynes stand like Farrell and I do, you can see it coming from a while off. Their left back or right back will get the ball and they will switch it over the shoulder of our left back because, or right back because they are pushed either so high or when we are in a back four, the left back tucks in too narrow. So their wide, either their fullback or their wide midfielder or winger or striker can pull off and create that space there. And then it just, it, it makes the, te- the whole team scramble. And we tend to move as a unit, which is really great. But at times we're often caught too narrow, um, especially for those um, diagonal balls. From goal kick, we just haven't got a huge team other, other than the centre-backs and, and K-Mac. We're not, a, we're not a massive team, are we? Those are diagonal balls. I remember the first time I sort of recognised that as a problem that's full of mice. This is obviously, I'm, I'm going back a long way here, but when Liam Rossini first 
first. Uh, I know, sorry. We were going back. <laughs> the one that stood out for me is Rotherham last year. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. There you go. But, <laughs> yeah, when Romney Marcury was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, when Buzzy George Best. <laughs> but yeah, so um, the whole point about sort of like the fullbacks almost holding hands with the centre-back does create a lot of problems for four teams. And the first time it kind of came out to me was when Liam Rossini first started playing Fulham because he used to do that quite a lot. I'm I'm not slagging him off now because obviously he's an established footballer, but this was when he was playing when he was like 18, 19 years old and criticism comes easily sometimes. But it does seem to be the same and Cess does it and Fredericks do it as well. Not Actually, not so much Fredericks, but Cess does it a little bit when he has played left back. Yeah, Fredericks is a little better at, at being spatially aware, especially where his, his man is. Unfortunately, it wasn't particularly uh he wasn't particularly dialed in for the goal on the weekend mm. but in those situations he is a bit better and he's got a good leap on him Sessignon on the other hand tends to tends to fall asleep a little and gets caught out of them more more often than not it's one of Malone's actual good points that last last season he wasn't often caught out by that um and that's something mm. that hopefully we can work into Sessignon's game and the left back that eventually comes in to supplement him as well yeah. who I'm sure given the transfer speculation we'll talk about later in the pod. Yeah, Rafa Soares is uh, heavily linked with us at the moment. I have yep. no idea if I pronounced that correctly. I think uh, it's Schwarz. Schwarz, okay, Schwarz. fair enough. Uh, I was quite surprised, by the way, it's Rui Font. So it's a Hoi Font. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, Hoi. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I forgot he's so, got that. Juninho as well, or Philip Cauchino. I, I, learned, I heard that on the uh, football phone-in. Yeah. Cauchino. Yeah, Calcino. Um, one of the three word reviews from you, Jack, was we got sussed. And I imagine this may be one of the questions that comes in later, but we were always worried last season about Fulham getting sussed. Now, I would hardly say that Sheffield Wednesday didn't suss us out last season, which is a weird double negative there. Mm. But are we a bit worried that this season we will get sussed? Teams will have seen how these first four teams have played against us, maybe not including Norwich, but certainly Reading, Leeds, Sheffield Wednesday all done a real job on us. Surely other teams that we're going to face in the next few weeks that might not have their quality, but they're going to do their research and see how they played against us. And we're going to have these problems all season unless we learn how to overcome this style of play that we faced. I don't think we can answer that question yet. I don't think we'll be able to answer that question until we face a few more teams who don't quite have the pedigree of the teams we've placed already. You know, bear in mind the three teams you've just said there, Leeds, Reading and Sheffield Wednesday all came in the top seven last year. You know, with us, they were all in the same kind of boat as us scrapping. And though, you know, we didn't, we won, yes. We drew, you know, both times at Leeds. We beat Reading, yeah, at home, but we we struggled at the Majewski in general last year. Um, And when Wednesday, we beat away, but, you know, it was a party. It was a party. It was like a free, a preseason friendly. And it was a one, a very scrappy one all draw at home. I think we might be panicking slightly. Bear in mind, we drew with Norwich at home last year as well. These are all results that, you know, that, that got us to a good position yeah. last year. We're not, I don't think that suddenly because we've drawn with four, well, drawn with three teams and lost to one, you know, very, very slightly, if you, if you want to put it that way, you know, it's, the points are the same, but it was a tight game that could have gone either way if we actually look at it in, a, in, a, in that kind of sense. I don't think that that's a reason to suddenly be like, oh, we've been, we've been caught out. Those teams worked us out last year. And I think the the things were going to come, you know, I would have said Ipswich, but Ipswich are actually somehow weirdly on, on the form of their lives. So, you know, the old Fulham curse of playing teams on, on a hot streak has come back to haunt us once again. But, you know, I would have said that this weekend was going to be probably the first opportunity we get to see if we have improved and we can still break down those teams. But I think it's probably going to be 
after the break now and i think it'll probably the the best example of what where we're going to see if we're and you know still the same quality of team we have last year is against Burton Albion on the 16th September yeah I totally agree um and you know reflecting back on last season we saw what um what uh Fulham are like once they get in their stride even when other teams thought right let's sit back for the first half an hour Fulham would just completely blitz them um after the podcast raised that we hadn't actually scored in the first half and now all of a sudden we were scoring every week within the first five, ten minutes pretty much because teams tried to suss us out and we were too good for them even. So hopefully that that will come again. And I do agree that it probably will come after this Saturday because it's which four wins from four. Bloody hell. Mick McCarthy, genius. Yeah, well... It just shows. It just shows when the little bit of faith. First time anyone's going to say that live. Right? <laughs> yeah. It just shows like with a little bit of faith with, with the manager because no one really got behind, um, got on Mick McCarthy's back last year, and they were really, really poor for large periods of last year. And none of the, there was none of like, well, Mick McCarthy's definitely getting sacked. They kind of stuck with him, and look what he's doing now. Well, a friend of mine supports Ipswich Town actually, and and thinks that their their progression over the years has actually been a regression, as you can see by their finishing places last year they were I think they were 17th 18th maybe even lower and they've slow they've slowly and gradually ever since they've come out of the Premier League just got further and further down mm. the championship and this year it was the year he thought that they would get even worse and drop into League One and then therefore obscurity of the lower leagues I think at the moment their their shot something like the shots to goals ratio is obscenely high oh, it's yeah. um it's 11 shots nine scored exactly and waghorn so, is four from four exactly and it's that that is obscene and it won't it, that can't trend, yeah. that trend no. can't last it basically bucks all the statistical analysis that every other team in the whole of the the world could ever do but it's happening and this is why football is such an incredible game and this is why stats should not be be all and end all, but there you go. And they're doing it as well without a recognised centre back at Switch. They they played four full backs. Yeah. Uh, on that's Saturday, gonna, that's going to work Brentford. annoyingly well against us, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although Adoy at centre back is an absolute rev- revelation. <laughs> I mean, the fact that it, Ipswich have got rid of um, Brett Pittman and Jonathan Douglas as their t- two main focal mm. players is uh, is only going to lead to better results. Let's not lie here. Brett Pittman is actually doing bits at Portsmouth though. What I was going to say about the statistical analysis, however, is 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 what something that we've heard a lot on. You know, for those of you that listen to Not the Top Twenty, our, our friends over there, George and Ali, they spoke a lot last year about Reading's um, kind of statistical analysis and how that they were just overperforming for their statistical kind of probabilities, and that it couldn't last. And I remember them saying this in January. They were like, "It can't last. It can't last. It physically is impossible for Reading to continue." basically shit-housing their way through results and, and getting <laughs> and keeping at the top of the table and and they did so you know it's, it's easy to write Ipswich off as you know a statistical anomaly but we've seen last year that those anomalies can last through entire seasons at, at points and yes it's rare I'm playing oh, play devil's advocate here no like, no of course you know, yeah. there's, there's also, Ipswich, without being funny Ipswich haven't been that good like if, if no. you know I've watched a couple they of haven't beaten anyone of any caliber, really. No. Yeah, but they they haven't and been. They did struggle for large periods of the game against uh, Brentford. I think Brentford ended up having like twenty five, twenty six shots on goal. Their keeper was in Black Blair Belakowski had had like an absolute kind of like eleven out of ten game. One of those ones, and they conceded three against Millwall. Yeah, who aren't you know exactly the the world's best striking force. So it's going to be one of those. It's going to be interesting to find out whether they can keep that kind of run up when they come against someone with with our quality, and and we'll have to see how Slavisa sets out on on 
on Saturday. But I'm sure that if we play to our abilities, we can stop that little run of results that Ipswich have and, and, and put things back into, the, you know, perhaps some perspective. Well, nothing's must win game five, but it is a little bit pressing that we do need to at least get results up there. I mean, it's not only is it uh, a long run of results and a team that really that we should have too much quality for, but also game before the international break as well. Um, if we go in with another defeat and then have got two weeks to mull over it, it could start to uh, it could start it to get a little bit ugly, way. and the in the morale in the camp could start to really get quite down. Could do it. Could go the other way, and that we tight, use that period of time to tighten up on a few things that we've noticed. Bed the new boys in. Yeah, get the new boys in. Think about it. The, the turnover we've had at the club this summer is 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 quite big, albeit in comparison to other summers that we've had, it's been. It's been fairly structured. Mm. And if you think about it, the transfer window we have had has been amazing anyway. Um, because we've kept Sess, we've kept Kearney, and we've signed some bloody brilliant mm. players. Let's yeah. not lie here. But that that international break could be a, a really good thing, whereas last year was quite bad. Well, we'll come on to the preview for Bristol Rovers in just a second. Back to the Sheffield Wednesday game. We never discussed... Um, your opinion on uh, the new boys and how they performed. Obviously, uh, it was uh, the second time that lots of us had seen Abu Kamara in the flesh uh, at Craven Cottage. Uh, but first of all, Rui Font was the uh, was the name of the day. Uh, Slav picked him up top. We weren't sure if Slav was going to go straight in and put Font uh, at centre forward, but he did. He took a gamble. And for the most part, I thought he looked like a pretty tidy forward. You know, I think, especially in the first half, his build-up play was sublime. And the, some of the runs that he offers and in, in behind, the way he stretched Sheffield Wednesday's defence was a, a real indication of the class of player that we've currently got there. And for, for what could be eight, nine million, if it works out well, it could be a, a very much a bargain and we could see us make some more money on him. Um, I thought his his technical ability was fantastic. Um, he was holding off um, centre backs with with ease or comparative ease at least. He was bringing other people into play. I think his runs, particularly towards the back post um, at the early parts of the second half, were really really good. Sess and, should really have found yeah, him Sess when found yeah. him there. that would have been a certain goal. Um, and I think that everything he offers and has offered in that, albeit very well, seventy eighty minutes. Um, was far better than we've seen from your boy AK forty seven in the in the previous uh, his previous outings, and I think there's a clear clear chasm in calibre there between the two of them. But obviously they've been bought for different reasons. Very Fonte is something that we want to bang in goals now, whereas Kamara is sort of like work him in and see how he goes in the long term. Yeah, I think that there is a massive scope, and I think that Font looked, you know, at points, you know, very much like the man we needed him to be. And I think that he will, you know, bear in mind he's had one day with the squad. I know, it was quite remarkable point. to put him straight in, but that um, Slav, that shows the confidence that Slav must have in it. I think that he linked up, the, his first touch was sublime. You know, all, the first touch of the game, you know, took down a long ball with ease, laid it to Kearney, who laid it off for Fredericks, and he very nearly got on the end of the first ball of the entire game, you know, running in behind the defence. And I thought, you know, that's a good start. Let's Let's see where you go from there. And... He just looks very, very neat in, in the middle. He looks like he brings people into play, which is what we always said that Chris Martin was good at, that we liked about him. But he also looks like he has the turn of pace to be able to 
you know, hold the ball up, play other people in and get on the end of things. And I think that with a bit more bedding into the system, he could be a really special player for us. And I'm very excited about him in general. I thought it was interesting that uh, despite him being sold from some of the clips we've seen at Braga as a really capable header of the ball, he was taking corners and free kicks. But then again, he was very good at corners and free kicks. So what do you do? Do you keep Fonta in the box for the headers or do you need to make sure you've got someone good at delivery? And actually last season... We really lacked someone that had a proper good delivery into the box. Yeah, and that's one of my one of my big gripes about this team. I'm there for you know all. Of, I'm not going to start sitting and criticizing the team too much because we did have an exceptional season last year. And all the stuff like all this defensive stuff we've talked about on the pod so far, they're all like little minor things here and there. Set pieces, on the other hand, last season was truly not nothing short of dreadful for this for our level. Um, and we've kind attacking of attacking set pieces. Uh, you mean. Yeah, attacking set pieces. And I mean, even, you know, Steph Johansson and Tom Kearney are obviously technically gifted. They ju- they can't seem to take a good enough attacking set piece, uh, especially crossing like corners or, or um, free kicks from deep, especially on Saturday. I mean, some of the ones that were coming in that weren't Rui Fontes, well, Rui Font, sorry, um, weren't particularly great, um, especially for a team that's trying to get back into the Premier League. We, we mentioned this last week on the podcast, that the last time, aside from the game against Bristol and... Chris Wickham in the cup where Adoy scored from a corner. The last time we scored from a set piece was probably against Ipswich on Boxing Day. Boxing Day, yeah. And we think that that was the last time we scored a set piece. And that's just, that's dreadful. Yeah, Considering t- the amount, t- we, we'd get eight, nine corners a game. Yeah. And cons- Easily. To be honest, I, I'm I'm a big fan and I think, you know, we've we discussed this before and Ben is as well, I know that, of, of short corners and, yeah. and, and things being played short and being able to do that and I think that we should just admit that we're not very good at corners and take corners and you know I understand if it's the last minute and we pump a ball into the box fine like absolutely fine no issue with that but we just don't have the kind of player that gets on the end of corners and you know I might be eating my words if we go and score two corners against Ipswich and Fonz takes them both and they end up in the back of the net and maybe it's just the fact that we haven't had anyone to deliver them properly but I can't see the idea that you know someone like Steph who obviously can take a free kick or, you know, Tom Kearney, who can take a corner, as we saw from the fact that we scored from his first corner of last year. Yeah. You know, those players, you know, they can deliver. And, you know, there's no way that we can go a whole season watching them play and suddenly they're just not able to deliver all of a sudden. There was there was a, a free kick right at the end of the game where we last chance saloon uh, from Steph Joe, I think it was, was poor. Yeah, I mean, really it was, poor. It was really, really poor. But I didn't expect anything better. Truth be told, no. um, and I, I really, as you know, I, I really like Steph Joe, um, but it's just he's just can't be our set piece taker. But yeah. unfortunately, you can't take him out of the team because he's too good to be in the team. So the, the long and short of it is, in the first instance, a, a, a corner that goes directly into the box c- conversion rate is incredibly low in the yeah. percentage that it actually converts to. I don't think it's even in, in, even into double figures unless you are. West one in, Brom. One in 13, I think it Something is. Something like that. But unless you're West Brom, or unless you are a huge team, you're not going to convert a lot from corners. Um, free kicks, on the other hand, free though. Free kicks are a little bit better, but they're not we get hugely in terms of percentage. And we yeah. do get a lot. The idea is that uh, of us working it short isn't to annoy fans and isn't to draw... It is to draw people out of the box. I'd like it if and it, it was. And there makes it... Therefore makes it easier. The fact that... The second part of this is that we have TC that stands on the edge of the box, who has arguably got the best delivery in the team, but doesn't take corners. 
and we are afraid to get Steph off the corners when he clearly keeps hitting the first man or not mm. delivering a good enough um, corner. Someone that actually tried corners for a, a bit last year and actually produced a few good ones Cess. was Cess. Mm. And he really, really, you know, he really knew where to put them and he knew how to fly them as well. Needs to get Neymar on them. Did we, you see that? Yeah, yeah exactly. Unreal. As we covered earlier, Callas and Reem are the only, or and McDonald are probably the only two or three that we've got in there that can efficiently head a ball. Now we've got Rufonch as well, but I don't know if he's going to be able to be good enough to do, to yeah. get it. We just he's also not that tall. Team. Yeah, he's not that tall. You know, yes, he, he, he. We did say that he was a good header of the ball at Braga, but actually, a lot of those headed goals were diving headers and sort of like stooped headers and, and all that from kind of open stuff. Open play as well, very much so. And I don't know how much of a threat he would be in terms of obviously. You know, I, if he was at the end of that that corner that came in and it wasn't a Luco being unable to jump, um, <laughs> and it was Font, then I imagine the ball would have gone in the back of the net. But it was. You know, but I also I don't think that he's the answer to to our heading problems from yeah. corners. I think that I do think that we we are a team that needs to work to our strengths, and our yeah. strengths are playing the ball short, dri- driving people out of the box, uh, and then working our way through. Something that we've done sensationally last year, but we have fa- failed at times to do this year, and in specific games, is drive to the byline and and really hit the byline hard because we're not doing it anymore. No. The one time we done it this season was against Norwich when Aite took on his guy and he fizzed it across the box and it went in, albeit an own goal. But since then, we haven't really hit the byline with the, the aggression and the force that we normally do until Cabano came on second yeah. half. Then he started Al- to be more incisive. Although Fredericks did, I'm pretty sure that he did fizz in two really good crosses. Not quite from the byline, no. but in that... You know, in corridor, that corridor in the channel, channel in that little. Yeah, but I swear that was only really kind of like twice in the first ten minutes, and then not at all for the rest of the game. Yeah, a lot of teams are playing are playing against that sort of byline run now. It's a very odd one. You know, I was about to say, I was about to bring this up because Fredericks has this thing where yeah, again, the first two, first ten minutes, he got to the byline twice and got the ball across, and quite happy to take on his man. And then as soon as it gets to after half time, Fredericks seems to stop wanting to run his defender and. I can't put this down to fitness at this level of the season. I just, I just can't. It's I, I, really odd. You come, to, you're standing there going, run. Yeah, just well, hit. I, I don't mind. Did, just drive. They were showing him in the second half because he was on my side. He was, be, he was definitely being shown inside all the time. The only, fine, the only thing about inside. Fredericks <coughs> is just he polarizes my opinion because on some matches he can look like the, the next Danny Alves. He can literally look like I don't know, like Kyle Walker on speed, and then the next day. Well, in the next half, he can look absolutely abject. He can look like there's nothing in his head. He can't do anything right. He can't create passes. He can't create space. He can't hit a byline. can't hit a cross. I don't know what it is about him, but where he offers so much, he equally offers so little. And this weekend, he offered not a huge amount. And he switched off for yeah. a third time, as I said, for the goal. So, um, Just a quick word on Abubakar Kamara. I don't think it's going to be quick. No. AK-47, AK-47 did enter the fray in the second half. By the way, I saw someone at the cottage with the shirt AK-47. Actually, no, actually just AK. Why yeah, that was there. Why not? It was a less than impressive performance uh, from Kamara, and, and the jury's really out on him. He seems like a player that's so excitable when he gets the ball that he just doesn't want to sort of playing anyone else he wants to keep it all the time and all he, he kind of twists and turns backwards and forwards backwards and forwards trying to find that little bit of space and doesn't and his decision making just seems to be really not good enough at the moment hopefully that will come 
you know, playing this team a bit more and getting a bit more chemistry with the team. But I can't really see it at the moment. But he has got so much energy that he does stretch defensive to his to his one credit. But I know that Jack's probably chomping at the bit to jump in and give his his opinion. Off you go, Jack. It's not about. <laughs> it's not about. His Sorry, that's all the time we got for. Like, I don't mind that he's excited. You know, excited. I, I'd be excited to be on the pitch too. Like it's it's good. You know, I, I like that he's excited to play for the club. What I don't like is the fact that every time the ball hits him, it goes back about fifteen yards because he can't control the ball. He has zero touch, and every time he gets the ball, and like when he runs with the ball, he just seems to like stumble through challenges. It's like it's bizarre. There was a bloke I played football with at uni called Chris, and he was rubbish, but he used to sort of like sort of just stumble with the ball through challenges and genuinely watching camera reminds me of this geezer who played, you know, E-team football at, at, at university. He just, it just doesn't look like he is capable. I don't, I don't even mean at this level. I mean, I think he would struggle in League Two. I think that maybe the last sentence may be a little harsh. I think he has some potential there, definitely, in the fact that he is quite strong he he has some sort of awareness, some sort used quite loosely at this stage, but he looks like one of those guys that if you need to get the get him on the pitch, get people around him and force a ball home, Kamara's your guy, because he's just that powerful, strong, like tall guy who's just going to bundle the ball home for you in the 85th minute, and then that's it. I think if we are looking for someone that's neat and tidy, it's going to link play and it's going to weigh him a few goals. Rufaunch is your guy. But Kamara is something else. And I think his intelligence versus Fonte versus Aluko versus Cabana versus Aite is, an, is is not on par, but it can be. And there's always this sort of development and potential that any striker can have, especially under a coach as good as Jukanovic. And I've slated Marcelo Jallo for a long time. And people are saying to me, he's got potential. He can become this. He can become that. So can Kamara. I think the only thing that's playing him down is that he's got a five million price tag on his head. And I'd like Jallo hasn't. I'd like so to, chuck a direct, uh, to chuck a direct quote in here from Dean Jones, who says that Kamara is the worst footballer he's seen in a Fulham shirt since Fotheringham. So that's harsh. That is harsh. That's harsh. I name think me one. Name me one better. Uh, one worse. One worse. Yeah. What since Fotheringham? Yeah. Sean Cavanagh. Yeah. You haven't seen Sean Cavanagh in a Fulham shirt since Fotheringham. Unless yeah, you went to watch the yeah. went to watch the under nineteens, he's played a few times. Kavanaugh's not worse than than Kamara. He's Woodrow, Corley Woodrow, <laughs> Corley Woodrow is the only question. Uh, Corley Woodrow against Wickham is the only person I'd potentially put in the same bracket. Sigurdsson, I've I've never really. Uh, Sigurdsson against Ipswich was good. He 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 changed the game for us that day. I think maybe we should let you know Kamara should have like a few more games. I think before. I think that's come back in. Uh, I think that's come back in half a dozen games, Jack, and and the, look at that quote again. I'm happy for that too. I'm happy to lay my card on the Marcelo table Jello. and admit my admit. And if if he proves me wrong, I will I will quite happily admit my defeat and probably buy you all a pint. Un- unfortunately, there we though, go. For, unfortunately though for him, I think while we've got Hui Font uh, in the team. I don't think he's going to get much game time, Kamara. I think he will off the bench. Jack's going to get told off in our WhatsApp group now for being too negative. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, look, I, I really want him to do well. I just can't see that someone with that bad a technical ability is suddenly at some point this season going to like stop kicking the ball away like 10 yards in front of him, chasing after it like a lunatic. I think he's going to get himself sent off before he scores. There you go. There's my prediction for camera. I'll, I'll bet you a fiver on that one. Cool. How much can you get on Ladbrokes? 
Oh, five pound get twenty pounds. Yeah, I'd stick that bet on Labrooks, ladies and gentlemen. Bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Right, uh, we're going to look at the Bristol game and answer your questions after this. Free beer, anyone? Free beer? Yeah, I thought you might be interested. Right now, as a special deal for Fulhamish listeners, you can get a free crate with 10 delicious Norwegian craft beers inside, and it's delivered straight to your door by the guys at beer52.com. Now, all you've got to do is pay $5.95 postage and packaging, and you've got to hurry because there is limited stock. So head to beer52.com and use the promo code FULHAM. So to get that free beer, you just got to go to beer52.com, promo code Fulham. Okay, welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Uh, we're going to be answering your questions. Jack has got the post bag ready uh, in just a moment. But tomorrow night, Tuesday evening, it's the third midweek match in a row. We were in cup action against Bristol Rovers in the Carabao Cup second round. Uh, Bristol Rovers got their first league win of the season on Saturday against Berry. Bizarrely, uh, they were 3-0 up going into stoppage time. Uh, and then it ended 3-2. It very nearly was an almighty comeback from Barry uh, in in added time. Uh, Slav earlier, yeah, I was watching the interview, said that he'll use it as a chance to give some young players uh, an opportunity, uh, but also looking to breed confidence in the side as well. So that suggests to me that we'll see a kind of hybrid youth slash second string team in action. Uh, who, who do you expect to see? AK-47, Cissé, oh, maybe Ojo as well, debut for him? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a team of the same ilk that we put out against someone like Middlesbrough last year in the cup where it was a bit of a hybrid between a lot of first teamers, a couple of new signings and uh, the young players. So last last year against Middlesbrough, we had Hossabed making his debut with his infamous half-touch turn um, that unfortunately we don't get to see anymore. We had Edun, who played really well. Um, we had Sess out that night as well, I think. Should be a fairly easy task, though, hopefully. We'd be looking to avoid an upset. It would be very Fulhamish uh, for that to happen. But you'd imagine that Fulham should come through this comfortably enough. You'd hope so. I mean, it was Guy that brought up, I think, last week or the week before that we actually don't have a particularly good record against Bristol Rovers, uh, either at home or away. But the gas, as they're called, I believe, by their supporters... They are, they are. Um, we should not trouble us too much if we you know play to our potential that said it will be a youth team who you know aren't necessarily fully cohesive at this point and i think that you know if they don't perform then there's very much there's very very much chance of an upset so it, it comes down to whether we think that our youth are, are good enough and, and cohesive enough at this point to put a team like bristol rovers who will be hard working you know reasonably solid and probably quite physical and if we can put them to bed, then it'll be a good a good indictment of our youth. Uh, would you expect Ojo to be starting? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully yeah. be a good opportunity to get him some minutes as well, because he wasn't given an opportunity on Saturday. Presumably he may have if we got ourselves into a bit more of a... If we got ourselves into a comfortable lead, I would have expected maybe to see Ojo, but it wasn't the right environment for him on Saturday. So hopefully an opportunity to give him a run out. Yeah, I'd, li- yeah, I'd like to absolutely. see that. I would have probably brought him on at the weekend for Aluko. Uh, will you guys be watching the third round draw? I'm going to be there, yep. No, the third round draw, Ben. <laughs> I'm also going to be there. What, going to be in Beijing, mate? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Have you yeah. seen what time the third round draw is? Quarter past four in the morning. Quarter past it? four in the morning. Well, for that locals like me, it'll be 11.15. That is exactly oh, when my... part-time fans. I'm going straight to Beijing. <laughs> I feel bad for whoever's got to live tweet that from the club. 
Well, I mean, I am up at quarter past four in the morning. That is when my alarm goes off. Maybe you should so do freelance work for the club. I am absolutely <laughs> that for them. I am I, happy for a small fee. Can't wait for to wake up and see that we've got Grimsby away on a Tuesday night. <sighs> I'll be live tweeting from the Fulhamish account at quarter past four. So uh, make sure if you're up, give us for some interaction. American fans. Yeah, yeah, we must have. Yeah, we do have some American fans. We have lots of American fans. Yeah. No, Shouts we'll, out to all we, of you listening across the pond. Should we? Um, We'll we'll give a shout out to anyone who favourites the tweet first. We'll know they're up. Hundred percent. If you're involved at quarter past four in the morning, get involved. I'll be there. Okay, Secretary Jack. Time to open the old post bag. Uh, first of all, I have a question. I'd like to know a little bit more about Rafa Schwarz. I'm going to uh, chuck this one to a resident stat man and European expert of the podcast. Barrel Monk. Um, <laughs> ben Jarman. I should give I've this... been to Europe, I know that much. <laughs> we should give some context as to who Rafa Schwarz is. He's being linked with Fulham at the moment. He's a Portuguese left back. That is all I could tell you at the moment. Well, your first two facts are right. Bang he is on. in fact Portuguese. He is in fact a left back. Um, well done, so Sammy. there you go, Sammy. Done That's their research. two out of two for you. Um, as the pod's resident, Andy Brassel, I will take this on just quickly. Um... Rafa Suarez's parent club is Porto. Obviously, he's one of about 157,000 contracted players to Porto <laughs> who make their way out on loan across Europe um, every single summer. Um, he is, without doubt, one of their most brightest talents that they have there, but left-back for them is quite a position that has been plugged by a number of players right now, notably Miguel Leun, who plays for Mexico and the returning Ricardo Pereira, who spent uh, last season on loan at Nice, or last couple on loan at Nice, who can play across the back four. And Alex Telles. And Alex Telles, um, who spent time at Inter and is now at Porto making waves. So he's slightly out of So he's need. slightly out of They're contention also still there. quite young, all of yeah. them. It's not a, it's not a yeah. kind of lengthy kind of point. Yeah, so like Leon's 27, Telles is about 25, and um, Rafa, Rafa, uh, Ricardo Pereira is 23, so... Suarez is probably about fourth in line. He spent how, how old is he? He is 21, I think. Okay. Um, he spent the last two years on loan at Rio Ave. Um, and last year they finished seventh, which for a club of Rio Ave size is actually pretty impressive. And they have one of the most um, forward-thinking and innovative managers in the league. It's just a case that they don't have um, a huge budget in order to, to grow on the tactics they actually have. Um, he's recently been linked to Liverpool. Um, and they were linked with a fifteen million pound deal, which basically tallies up to the fifteen million euro deal that we are reported to have after his loan expires. Um, he's a pretty pacey left back. He's known for his excellent set pieces and crossing. And you'll see from his stats graph that I think Nick McNee has put out on Twitter that his crossing ability is second to none, and a lot of them actually hit their target as well, which is something we didn't see from Scott Malone last year. Um, something also to compare to Scott Malone is that the fact that he's got almost double the key passes that Malone had uh, across his outstanding season last year. So um, he also tallied five assists from left back um, and also scored three goals, which is not as much as Malone, but you um, have to be aware that obviously um, left backs don't score a huge amount of goals anyway. So are um, we looking at a loan deal with a 15 million option? Yeah, we are. It's reported in O Jogo and across a lot of um, English publications that we are looking for a year's loan deal with a 15 million euro buyout clause at the end of it, which is quite high considering we played uh, 9 million for Font 
um, and five million for Kamara. Um, I guess e- that everyone in- else in our squad is around about the three or four million pound mark. I yeah. guess that inflated price is likely depend is pretty much all dependent on his age. Really, I've well, looked it yeah. up. He's twenty two, and I guess Fonz is twenty seven. So you're paying for the youth, I guess. Yeah, that. exactly. And the thing about Suarez is he's not um, he's not got a small amount of potential. He's got a huge amount of potential. He's already playing regularly for the under twenty ones, um, and was, if I'm not mistaken, was at their European Championship tilt this summer. Um, he is really, really highly thought of within the Celesau, um setup, and there's a there's a huge chance that in coming years he will be their starting left back. Um, obviously, the path um, to their left back slot is a little easier than it is at Porto because um, Portugal's left back depth is not is not huge anyway. Um, aside from Cancelo from Inter now, Good as he player. signed to them today. Um, and that's around about it. They're still using Contral in, Control, their, yeah. in a, a lot of their squads. So um, the future is bright and he's got a huge amount of talent, hence why the buyout clause is so big. And that Porto uh, did have an FFP fine not long ago. That they're still trying to pay off. So that's some funds they need. Sorry for the ramble, but that's all you need to know. Very interesting. Oh, thank you, Ben. Um, Jack, anyway. let's move on with the post bag. I'm going to follow that with a question that's vaguely relevant. Um, and it will be relevant to everyone, but I'm going to start with Ben again, if they don't mind. Is it Fulham related? Because no, that might well. be relevant <laughs> to everyone. About, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's about the kind of like depth in Nice's second team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Something no. I... Uh, Fulhamy says, if we sign this Portuguese left back on loan, are you okay with selling Cess, assuming the fee matches? Matches the 15 million euro buy No, no, no as in, as, assuming the fee is... Like a, a a good one, not like you, a like oh. a twenty five mil, thirty mil kind of stuff. Yeah, um, I don't think that I they will. So. I don't think they will because I don't think they'll. Like, firstly, I don't think we'll sell Cess this summer. I think it will yeah. be the summer afterwards. In the fact that we'll probably try and get a little bit more money for him, and we get and he's now got two years at Championship level. I'd be reluctant to sell Cess because we've only got Rafa Suarez on loan. And there's no guarantee that we would pay that fifteen million balls at the or end. He'd want to, or that we'd want to. It's very unlike other other loan clauses we're seeing across Europe at the moment in the fact that the the buyer at the end is not compulsory. It's optional. So I guess it's kind of like the Chris Martin situation where we have him for the year and we decide whether we want him or not. Obviously, Chris Martin's loan to permanent was 9 mil. This is considerably more. Yeah. And it's for a left-back. I don't think I've really known anyone spend that much on a left-back unless you're Manchester City in which you spent 80 million on two of them, and one of them's a Real Madrid reject, but there you go. Yeah, let's not get onto that. Um, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree here. I don't think that signing Suarez or Suarez, however you pronounce it, and selling Sessegnon is a good option at all. Obviously, there seems to be uh, some late rumours in the day that Spurs and United are keen on Sessegnon. 25 million has been banded about. That seems fairly confirmed that Spurs did put in a bid. Uh, apparently um, not. Apparently not. Apparently that was a, a false rumour. Fair enough. Well, I just don't think there's any possibility of Sessegnon going anyway. It doesn't make sense for him to go now. He's just signed a new contract. He's in the team. I think on every side, that's just not a move that Fulham or Sessegnon would do. So, I think also what goes for him as well, um, and from Fulham's point of view, is the fact that he's ver- he seems to be versatile. He can play quite... He slots... And with the same sort of ability, left back and left wing, which kind of fits into our kind of our our mould um, in a way. So I think that even if we get this uh, Suarez in, that Fulham would be any less reluctant to actually sell him in the first place because he can 
play in two positions, which certainly helps. Plus, I thought Hess was our, one of our best players on Saturday. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, that's I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think he was bad. I just don't think he was particularly spectacular, although I don't necessarily think that many players were particularly spectacular at the weekend. No. I disagree. I I, I take the money. I take £25 million for Ryan Sessegnon right now, as in absolutely no doubt whatsoever. I'd buy another left-back, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be happy just having Suarez as our only left-back choice, but I would take £25 million for Ryan Sessegnon right this oh, second. I, I, I thought that wasn't the question, whether we'd take £25 million well, for it was, him. It was one of those. It was, it was yeah, 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 yeah. Um, both parts. I think if it, if the deal is right for all sides, like we're, we, we are going to have to talk like tens of millions of pounds here with... You know, and that's probably including cash up front with you know if he gets an England cap or yeah. I'm, also, like... I don't I don't think that that's kind of what I would go for. I'm talking I would take twenty five million pounds cash in unmarked bills. Yeah, um, yeah, in a suitcase, in a suitcase <laughs> and cash cash money. No, but as in I don't want fifteen million and six million when Cess becomes a left back and uh, an England player, and then another eight million if they win the championship. I'd rather take. 25 million straight up. Well, I mean, if it was 25 50. million cash, then I think that's a no-brainer, absolutely, because a lot of these deals are, it's actually 10 million pounds with appearances, etc., yeah. and, you know, sell-on clauses. Interestingly, there was a, a figure being bandied around that uh, they were going to bid 25 million pounds for both the Sessignon brothers. I have it on good authority that Fulham have said they will not sell Stephen Sessignon this summer. I think we're more open to offers for Ryan, but they will not go as a pair. That make that would make sense because, you know, Steven Sessegnon is obviously pretty good, just obviously can't get into the team. I but mean, he also hasn't proved his value yet. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You know, a lot of other... Yeah, his value hasn't gone up because not many people have actually seen a lot of him outside the club. Uh, Jack, what's next in the postbag, please? This no. one's from BC Brown, and it says, Fulham seem incapable of putting together two good halves, which is a carryover from last year. Why do we think this is? I think oh. BC Brown has nailed it, because I couldn't I couldn't find a way of eloquently saying that, but we never do two great halves. I think it's because we get too complacent at half-time. But it's not a lot... It's, it, we never come out firing as well as we do at the start of a match, and I think it's... I don't want to doubt Jokanovic and his motivational speeches, but... It does. It doesn't feel like we've come out fired up. It's like more of the same. That'll do, and that's it. And we always let in a goal fairly early after half time. Or that's how it felt last season. I would say that it's slightly harsh, but because for long periods of last year there were there were games where it was just Fulham for a hundred percent of the game, and I would say that it's not always that because sometimes we've had some you know pretty subpar performances first half, and then second half we absolutely destroyed them. Um, but I do agree that it has happened on a worryingly amount of times that it has been the case that we've been good for one and not so good for the next one. But that just seems... I actually think that's since the dawn of time Fulham have been a bit, a bit like that. I'm trying to look, actually, and think back to last season. Were there any times where Fulham were level at the break and then second half went on to have a really great performance I'm thinking we beat Rotherham away from home but in all that, that whole performance great, was yeah. sluggish I can't see an entire time where we were level at the break and we then went on to have a barnstorming second half there was Barnsley a couple of... Barnsley, Barnsley at away. home Barnsley away well we, we'd had it wasn't like a nil-nil at half time it'd been quite a quiet first half and then second half we'd gone bang and turned on the gas no uh, it was two all wasn't it at half time 
Yes, but I, I'd argue that Fulham actually were pretty good in that first half. Yes, okay, it was even. But okay, even then, even Le- if it is... Leeds, because I thought the second half against Leeds, even though we didn't, like, we created quite a few chances. Obviously, we scored an equaliser last minute, but the, the performance second half was exceptional. Yeah. Against the, against the Leeds team, who were in really good form at the time. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that it, like, never, ever happened, but it certainly didn't happen very often where it was nil-nil half-time like it was on Saturday, and then second half, we came out the blocks and won the game. That big run we went on in April in every one of those games uh, that we won, like, you know, Norwich's, Villa's, we, we scored in the first half. Didn't Fulham win the most points from losing positions last year? Yeah, right? but we often did it in the sort of same period, like as if we'd often concede and then score like five minutes later. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or we'd concede early on, be losing and then score, I think against Wigan potentially, we were 2-1 mm. down at half-time? Um, yes, we were. And we won 3-2. Yes, we did win. It was pretty much last... It was the first goal for Cabano. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the, maybe the one of the only performances that's I'm thinking. That's potentially the only one I can think of. So maybe it's not so mad after all my no. my theory that I literally just came up with on the spot. Okay, well, two okay. more quick questions. Uh, one from long-term friend of the FOD, Alex Bomer, who says, do we think that Norwood is more effective off the bench or in a, start, in a starting role? He's quite a tidy player, as we've seen, but seems to lack the energy and drive to take the game by the scruff of its neck when it's needed. Obviously still early days, but keen to hear your thoughts. Ben, I'm going to go to you first. I like Norwood a lot. Um, I tend to agree that Norwood is slightly one of those guys that will slot in as part of a system. He's not someone you want to push, you want to pull on uh, if you if you say two one down and you're looking Changing for two quick goals. Yeah, he's not going to change the game. He's just going to slot in and 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 um, safen up a little bit. Which is why a couple of weeks ago, if we said there's one person you want to take out of that midfield three, it's Ken, and you replace him with Norwood, and you you just tighten up. I think um, he's a good starter. I wouldn't put him off the bench. I don't think he's had the right type of impact for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I've got nothing to add to that. Okay, and then my final question is from Owen Dillon, who's uh, been trying to get in touch for a while, and we uh, we got it got lost in the old filters of our inbox. So we do apologise, Owen. He says, "An Irish Fulham fan here from a very rural oh, area. I why you've chosen oh, him? Do your best to get him. Look, if you want to, if you want to butter up the butter up the secretary, you get your questions on the pod. Um, Change your nationality." <laughs> do you uh, do you wonder? Do you ever think we'll have a team back that we used to have back in the mid two thousands in the Premier League? Do we ever think we'll have that strength of team again? I think is the question. Um, I'll, I'll chuck, that, chuck that to Sammy. Yeah, go on. I think he was born in the two thousands. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it the other day. I was it was watching Huddersfield yesterday against Newcastle, and I was a little bit jealous. And I didn't think I was going to be jealous of teams in the Premier League. And I think I went on last season so much. Oh, I don't know if the Premier League is too soon for us. But I did watch them do a job against Newcastle yesterday. Uh, Their second win in two. They look so good. It's this team that came up mostly from the championship with a few added extras. Really just looking so damn impressive. And I just thought... Wow, it would be quite cool to be back in the Premier League and have such a strong squad like that and be having such a bright-looking future. I, I think it is possible, and I think that if Shade took this team to the Premier League, then we would really heavily invest, and I think that we could potentially have a squad to rival that. I mean, it's always hard, though, when you look back with rose-tinted glasses at teams of the past and, you know, your Mal Bronx, Boa Morte, Sean Davis is in the middle, and... We'll never have that again if you try and compare them to teams of the past. You know, we'll never have John Pansel and 
Danny Murphy and Breda Hangland ever again. It's yeah. quite hard to compare when teams are, are that long ago. But I don't think it's beyond the realm's possibility that we'll one day have a strong Premier League side again, no. Talking of uh, nostalgia trips, it's 13 years ago to the day that we moved back to Craven Cottage today. It is yeah. indeed. So that's good, isn't it? Back we had home. that weird stadium announcer who replaced Diddy for one game. One game, yeah. And he was awful. That's a really horrible way to talk about Jack. Ivan. <laughs> he's a friend of the podcast Sammy and you should be nice to him hey if you live in Hearts, Beds, Bucks or somewhere else uh, northwest of London he's starting on Heart Breakfast next week next Monday every day so right. make sure you tune in so all the Monk family will be they're all local there 6 till 10 in the morning can we give a quick shout out to um, one the Fulham Supporters Trust and two Shard Khan basically for um, there was a time story run at the weekend Mm. That um, basically Shard Khan was thinking about selling the club because we'd turned down a bid for Sessignon. And it uh, looks like it was actually Daniel Levy being a sneaky little felon and posting things in the tr- in the press to try and unsettle them. So the Supporters Trust uh, have released a pretty damning statement towards uh, Daniel Levy and his cronies today. And Shard Khan and Tony Khan apparently are considering... There was there was threats of legal action being being chucked around. So that's a, a good sign. One that the chairman and that are fully on board. And two, shout out to the supporters trust for you know standing up and releasing that kind of statement when it was when it was needed. Maybe focus on winning a game at Wembley. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I just thought it was a, a good Me one. Out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, interesting. But interesting, like that they try and do that just for the old Sessegnons. He's a bloody good player. Look at the last one they got off us. Okay, Secretary Jack, what is the title of today's podcast, please? I'm going to uh, pinch a phrase from someone who three word reviewed us. So this one's from Paddy Doherty, who called it Rui the Day. Oh, I want to wait to him. So Actually. that's why we're going down that road. Fair enough. Irishman to an Irishman. One Irishman to another. I might change my name to Farrell O'Farrell. You might actually like me. Yeah, I'll answer some of your questions then, mate. <laughs> okay, well, thank you for listening to today's Fulhamish podcast. We will be back next Tuesday, so we won't be here on the Bank Holiday Monday. We'll be here on the Tuesday after the Ipswich game. All four of us are off to the Ipswich game. Dom is also off to the Ipswich and game. Guy. I imagine Guy is off to the Ipswich game as well. Three billion of you are going to the Ipswich game this weekend. I assume it's going to be a... It's almost like a Leeds turnout, this. (laughs) I assume it's going to be a good amount of Fulham fans there, actually. General good allocation. Yeah. Come and say hello. Look for the flag. Jack will have the flag. Come see us. Come say hello. Uh, We'll be in the pub beforehand. And we'll be back next Tuesday with another Fulhamish. Please uh, leave us a rating on iTunes in the meantime. Quite a lot of you have been doing that, and we hugely appreciate it. Apparently, there's an iTunes trick that if you unsubscribe and resubscribe to the podcast that uh, we go massively high in the rating. So feel free to do that if you've got some time, but please don't just unsubscribe and not resubscribe. Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, The podcast will be back next Tuesday. So to Ben Jarman, thank you very much. Ciao, obrigado. To Jack Collins, thank you very much. Cheers, lad. And to Farrell Monk, thank you very much as well. (laughs) Bye-bye. See you later. (laughs) Toodles. Toodles.